It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. WROL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the car doctor here to help you with your car problems. And, uh, oh, poor Keith. We're, we're baptism by fire with Keith today. We're, I'm, I'm starting, you know, to, not in the studio today. Kind of took a vacation day. Uh, and uh, Keith, is, uh, Keith is in the studio uh, playing, uh, playing uh, Captain Keith on the board. So we'll... Uh, yeah, sure I'm the loner okay. here today. There you go. There you go, Keith. You're all good. You're all good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I seem to be going I seem to be doing a good job already. Uh, well, well, you know, it's, well, we'll leave that up to the listeners to figure out. So. Uh, yes, all right. All right. All right. Good good morning, New England. Good morning, Cape Cod. Please be nice to me. <laughs> there, there, there you go. There you go. Uh all right. but but uh it's all good. So, uh we have um we have we have Keith. We have Keith uh, back at the board. He can take your calls at six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. I'm here to take your calls as always, and you can call in and join us in six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Just because I'm not in the studio doesn't mean I can't do whatever I can do to try to help you out with your car problems. Uh, always happy to try to do that. So, uh, phone number again six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. We'll talk about a little w- about what's in the news as well as uh, a car review. In fact, we're going to get to the car review shortly, and which is actually a truck review. So we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Uh, the other thing is, um, next week, we are going to have a guest. Next week, we're going to be talking not cars, not trucks, but we're going to be talking Vespas with a uh, guy who just wrote a book about Vespa. And uh, it's sort of, sort of interesting, too. He's, he's, he's going to be calling us from... The middle of the country somewhere where he's doing where he's at an Italian immersion camp and it sounds like he works there and um, it's not a place where I would think you'd go to learn Italian but uh, we'll have to find out about that too but I think there's, there's everybody has a memory of Vespa somewhere uh, they are they are pretty cool little scooters so and back again so but the classic Vespas from the 40s, 50s, 60s. Well, I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of romanticism about those about those scooters than maybe how good they really were sometimes because uh, they weren't always the best scooter in the world. But uh, people that restore them uh, do a nice job with them, and mostly, and they turn they turn out to be pretty functional, especially if you upgrade the ignition system to them. Uh, they they become a pretty pretty functional, fun scooter to scooter to ride around in so we will be we will be talking vespas next week and uh we'll just kind of go we'll kind of go on from there but i wanted to talk about uh, our road test vehicle 
and that is the Ford F-150 pickup truck. The Ford F-150 has been the undisputed leader in pickup truck sales, and for good reason. There are seven versions of the F-150 with various engines, cab configurations, bed lengths, rear wheel or four-wheel drive. The subject of our road test was the top-of-the-line F-150 limited edition four-door Super Crew with the 3.5-liter turbocharged V6 engine connected to a not four, not five, not six, not seven, but ten-speed automatic transmission powering a selectable four-wheel drive system with tow mode. The cabin of this F-150 is as luxurious as any passenger car. The leather seats are both heated and cooled. The pedals are adjustable. Automatic dual-zone climate control should keep occupants comfortable. There's a huge sunroof that covers both the front and rear seats and a power-sliding rear window. The front seats are multi-adjustable and should stay comfortable even after hours on the road. The controls are well thought out, easy to use. There's a large knobs and buttons for the radio, and that was a welcome sight compared to some more distracting systems. Power running boards make for easy entry and exit into this reasonably tall truck. I wouldn't call it a monster truck by any reason means, but it is a little bit taller than some other uh, pickup trucks or, or certainly passenger cars. The rear seating is as spacious as a large four-door sedan. In fact, this is limo-like in the back seat. There, There is a lot of room back there. There are plenty of bins, cubbies, a good-sized glove compartment, center console. There are more 12-volt power points and USB plugs um, than I think you could ever power up accessories with. The uh, 3.5-liter V6 turbocharged engine develops 375 horsepower and 475 foot-pounds of torque. For those drivers thinking a V6 isn't powerful enough, they just need to take the F-150 for a ride. Performance from this engine is very good with the engine, and the engine remains fairly quiet even under hard acceleration. Fuel economy, according to the onboard fuel economy monitor, averaged about 19 miles per gallon. The cabin's very quiet with a lack of wind and road noise. The ride's comfortable, only becoming a bit unsettled on rough roads. Like all trucks, the ride only improves with some cargo, uh, with some weight in the cargo bed. Our truck had the shorter 5.5-foot cargo bed, which helps with parking but does limit how much you can carry. The steering lacks a bit of road road feel, especially at highway speeds, low speeds. The steering is light, but the wide turning radius takes a little getting used to. I uh, had to uh, pull into a couple parking spaces, back up, straighten it back out, and go back in, um, just because it is a little wider turning radius than I expected it to be. Our top-of-the-line model had a full suite of safety equipment, blind spot assist, uh, so blind spot information system, smart cruise control, lane lane keeping, and even inflatable rear seat belts. So they're not just putting airbags in uh, all kinds of places. They're also building airbags into the seat belts. When it comes to full-size trucks, there was once a time, there were really just three, Ford, uh, Chevrolet GMC, you can group those together, Dodge Ram, uh, Dodge is kind of gone from the truck name, but Ram, and the F-150 held a sales record. Today, you can add Nissan and Toyota to the mix, but Ford still outsells them all. If you're looking for a truck that can get work done and replace the family car, the F-150 should be at the top of your list. Uh, Just to go over the basics, uh, EPA says 17 city, 23 highway. Again, I did about 19 combined. The uh, engine was a V6 EcoBoost. And the retail price, well, this was a top-of-the-line model with all the accessories, $65,671. So there's our road test for the week, the 2018 Ford F-150 pickup truck. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030.
770-3030. I think we have a call. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Or not? Well, we'll let Keith... Well, let's try Robert from Kingsborough. Robert, are you there? Keith? There we go. Robert. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, not bad. I, uh, I missed you last week because uh, you ran out of time. I was trying to help one of your callers uh, oh, okay. on the struts. Yeah, the, the guy with the struts, the, yeah. I think it was a Taurus or a Sable. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to tell him about my experience with Sullivan Tire. Okay, I had them put some new leveler struts from Rancho on okay. the front of a on the front of a Ram. Yep. And uh, you know the the price through them was three sixty eight a piece, which you know only a few dollars more than the online stores. Mm-hmm. But the labor was really impressive. One hundred nine dollars and change for both of them to be installed. Wow! Yeah, That's so it was. It was yeah, I, I was when he mentioned the labor. I said, Are "You sure?" He says, "Yeah, one hour." You know, it took him an hour and twenty minutes, but I am a regular there. And then they did the alignment for like seventy instead of ninety. Yep. You know, yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah. that sounds that sounds good. And uh, I guess if anybody's uh, thinking about doing stuff like that today. Today, I believe, is a sales tax holiday, right? Yeah, in Mass, but this was in Hudson, New Hampshire, so oh. it didn't so this, fly. It's always, it's, always a sale, it's always a sales tax holiday in Hudson, New Hampshire. You, you got it, yeah. yeah. I, I was quite impressed with that shock. I mean, you know, being a performance truck shock, it was, yeah. you, know, the, you know, the level of the truck off, and, uh, you know, I didn't need them. I just wanted to level the truck and get a better shock on there. Yeah, and does it, does it in Besides doing all that, did it also help improve the ride a little bit? Give the ride a little it, bit. It uh, didn't make it any worse. Uh, okay. It might have. It's it's slight. It's a short bed and a regular cab, so it's not as comfortable as the longer beds, the crew cabs, and so on. Yeah. You know, plus the tires I have are a little more aggressive. But yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it didn't go down. It was either as good or maybe slightly better. Well, that's good. And it still handles corners, but uh, I, I'm going to put shocks in the rear to match it eventually. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was real impressed with that way, but are you kind yeah. of kidding me? No, no I know. So, that's uh, You know, for a, for 100 bucks, it wouldn't be worth crawling under there anywhere. No, no. I don't have the equipment, and, yeah. you know, I'm getting too old for that stuff. But uh, I just thought that gentleman with the stress for $1,900 might want to try solving yeah, tires. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. How, how do you know when you're getting too old to do stuff? Um it hurts a lot. It hurts a lot. <laughs> yeah, and you don't recover in one or two days; it's weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. It seems like it seems like whenever I do something that requires like seven thousand deep knee bends, the next day my legs are killing me. It's just, oh, like, yeah. I'm yeah. just not used to that kind of work anymore. But uh, and plus, you know, the fact I couldn't do it as quick as they did if I did have the equipment. Yeah. You know, just, no, you know. no, no. Sounds good. Hey, Robert. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Same here, John. All right. Have a good day Take now. Care. Bye. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. Well, there was an article, and this is um, this was back a week or so ago, and it says Tesla reported a loss of $717 million for the second quarter, nearly double from a loss of $336 million a year ago. Total revenue rose $4 billion at $2.79 billion. Tesla also said it expects to increase Model, model 3 production by about 6000 uh, units per week by late August, buoying expectations the company will meet its goal for profitability and positive cash flow. But it sounds like Elon Musk might be in trouble. I was I heard something on the news the other day 
that um, uh, Elon Musk and owns about 30% of Tesla, I guess. So he's not a majority shareholder. And there's some thoughts that uh, they're, you know, with this kind of money loss, uh, and they're meeting with, um, I think they're meeting with a Saudi investment group. There's some talk that they might, they might uh, tell Mr. Musk he can't be in charge anymore. So uh, we'll have to wait and see where that's going to go. But Tesla plans to invest uh, $5 billion building a factory in China. A person familiar with the matter, uh, uh, that came out of Bloomberg News, and I think that's where I heard the rest of this, too. Tesla agreed last month to build a factory near Shanghai and expects to start producing his new Model 3 there by 2020. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's, uh, I said 20 years ago now that when Tesla first started out and they were building that sort of electric Lotus car they they borrowed a car from lotus took the drivetrain out of it and put uh, electronic electrics in it um and fisker uh built a luxurious car that was basically a chevy volt and i kind of said you know here's two startup car companies i think history will say that when we look back they'll be a lot like tucker they built some cars they had they had a lot of fun they got a lot of notoriety but at the end of the day they were not successes. Well, I was at least 50% right with the Fisker part. Uh, Fisker, although Fisker's coming back again, but the Fisker car company, as we knew it then, was uh, was a failure. And Tesla, um, you know, a $717 million second quarter loss. Well, I don't know how long you can keep doing that, even though their investments... Uh, keep growing and their sales keep growing but uh, we'll have to see what's going to happen it, it looked uh, it looked pretty grim there uh, I guess that uh, for Elon Musk on Friday afternoon so we'll have to or Thursday afternoon where whatever day I heard it so uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, one car you won't be able to buy is the Nissan Juke that's that subcompact crossover it's a little bit uh, odd looking it was intended to attract a younger bri- a buyer to its brand but uh, didn't really make it for people. U.S. consumers uh, didn't really care for it. It was dropped from the lineup. Nissan sold 10,000 of them uh, in the U.S. in 2017, down 48% from a year before. By contrast, the Juke remains one of the best-selling nameplates in Europe for some reason, with 95,000 sales there last year. I don't know if it's called the juke there, but uh, there were some people calling it the joke, and maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see where where that's going to go. Our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Smart keeps its electric for twos. Smart's challenge in the coming year continues to be selling its little tiny coupes to uh, America's seemingly infatuated with. Crossovers and SUVs, the decision to phase out the brand's combustion engine last year isn't helping. U.S. sales of the Smart for Two dropped 70% in the first six months of 2018 compared to two years ago. The For Two is a, uh, comes in a battery electric coupe and cabrio versions. Not quite a convertible, but almost. Um, they're the first series produced models of the parent uh, Mercedes-Benz. The uh, former... Uh, smart cars actually came to the United States and they were they were retrofitted by I think Penske 
and Penske was actually sort of the background behind them. Uh, now they're actually selling them through the Mercedes-Benz brand, uh, brand. They're the ones doing all the work. Uh, the convertible went on sale last summer with an upgraded range, power, and cabin space. The Fortune models could see a freshening in the second half of 2020. We'll, ha- we'll have to see. I will say that uh, I never really thought much of the gas version of the, of the smart car. And I did drive one of the electric ones, and the electric one was actually pretty fun to drive. Now I don't know about the range and all of that, but I, but I'm also I'm, I've always been a weird fan of electric cars. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see and see what happens with all of that. There's an article that was just out in this week's Automotive News, and it says National Highway Traffic Safety Administration um, Heidi King no more super secret deals. And the headline just kind of caught my attention, and the article says, uh, NHTSA Chief Heidi King says the Trump administration's proposal to contain fuel economy program and effectively freeze the standards at 2020 levels through 2026 is a result of a more transparent customer-driven policy that will put innovative technology in the hands of more drivers. She spoke last week with the Washington Reporter for automotive news and it says has the federal government punted to california and the automakers responsibility for coming up with a grand bargain that could continue the one program one national program under the revised emission standards Uh, she says i would characterize it as getting out of the super secret deal making business in the past some of those conversations occurred behind closed doors outside of the public eye and we believe something so important to all American families shouldn't be a conversation that's in a smoke-filled room. Seems odd she'd use smoke-filled room in a EPA clean, clean air, high gas mileage story. But anyway, so we are moving forward with the conversation with the industry and California, but we're doing it in a transparent way. We're making the analysis and the information that would inform final deal-making available to everyone. And I'll tell you why. In previous decision-making behind closed doors, there was not a representative there for consumers, and we believe it's very important because personal transportation is so critical to the well-being of individuals in the economy. We want to make sure consumers have access to cars that are affordable, have good fuel economy, good emissions profile, and they're safe. We want to make sure that consumers are part of the decision. Sounds like there's an opening for me in there. How does the proposal make things more open? Wouldn't automakers in California negotiate behind closed doors on any agreement they come up with? Congress gave authority for setting fuel economy standards exclusively to the Department of Transportation on behalf of all the U.S., so the decision-making authority lies at the DOT. We welcome the opportunity to work with everyone. We are very pleased with cooperation with EPA on the opportunity to harmonize one national program for both fuel economy and emissions, other stakeholders, We'll look forward to working with, uh, but we're not having closed meetings to to come to negotiate agreements outside of the public eye. Well, all oh, this sounds pretty good. To the extent uh, the reporter asked, to what extent do you think automakers will pursue higher standards on their own above the government's proposal, assuming it goes into effect? There's nothing holding them back, right? And her answer was absolutely not. What we are proposing today is a floor that is the 2020 levels and holding out to 2026. And frankly, it's the floor to to an average. So there's room for manufacturers to produce what consumers want. Uh, what we are trying to avoid is to build cars that nobody wants. Some of the market research I see shows that people who have previously owned a battery electric vehicle, about half of them, when they purchase their next vehicle, they purchase a traditional fuels vehicle. 
So even consumers that show a willingness to engage with new powertrains still have a diverse preference and needs, and we want to make sure that the manufacturing can provide affordable, safe, fuel-efficient, clean cars that meet consumer needs. I disagree with the consumers who buy battery electric cars. Um, it says about half of them go back to um, uh, fuel, uh, traditional fuel vehicles. A lot of people are kind of early adopters of technology. So they go out and they buy the latest iPad or latest something or other, and then they find out after they have it for a while, it really isn't what they wanted. And to just say, kind of say 50% of people, well, you're always going to have, when something new comes out, you always have a lot of people that jump right in and then decide it doesn't work for their situation. So that made it sound a little more negative than it really is. And the reporter's last question was, how do you respond to the concerns that the U.S. is seeding technology, innovation, other parts of the world, and the industry will lose jobs in R&D? That seemed like a pretty easy question. Uh, we have some of the best engineers and automakers in the world because we have talent, because we have led in innovation, because we have the market that allows consumers to drive innovation. I believe we'll be strengthened by allowing market forces to determine the path of innovation. Yeah, pretty easy question there. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what I have read is some of the auto manufacturers have said, you know, we really don't care what the emission standards are going to turn into. We, we're going to build a little bit what was said there. We're going to build cars that consumers want. And although consumers are buying a lot of SUVs and pickup trucks and and other large vehicles, they still want reasonably good fuel economy. And if all of a sudden fuel economy stays stagnant, well, some other, all it's going to take is a couple other manufacturers to come out with something that gets better fuel economy. And I think that will shock the rest of the the bigger manufacturers into doing something. So even this Ford F-150 that we did the review of, it gets pretty good fuel economy, up to 23 miles per gallon on just highway driving. Is it that much better than a plain V8 because it's the EcoBoost? Well, it's certainly more powerful than some of the plain V8s. So it has it has the power, it has the performance. GM did theirs a little bit different with uh, they use a V8 engine, but they shut cylinders off to improve fuel economy, similar to what Ram does with their truck. Uh, so I think if you can get a full-size truck that's in the in the low 20s out on the highway, you're doing you're doing pretty well. Uh, some of the smaller SUVs are getting well over 30 miles per gallon. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see where it all goes. This is one of the best stories I've read about uh, about uh, autonomous vehicles. And this comes out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it says, At the high-tech proving grounds, the roads are packed and there's no tall fence to keep everything hidden from view. The vehicles being tested look no different than what you find anywhere in the country on a typical day. Here, researchers at the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute are studying how those vehicles can communicate with the world around them. Technology, they say, is closer to widespread deployment than autonomous vehicles are. To demonstrate the potential for connected vehicles, more than just a few loops of empty pavement are needed. needed. So all 27 square miles of Ann Arbor, Michigan, will become an inconspicuous real-world testbed. Outside the Research Institute's office, technicians working under a large tent-like structure move uh, in perfect rhythm to install short-range communications devices on vehicles that belong to people who live or work in the city. The vehicles get a small box in the trunk or cargo area, uh, one on or near the rear window and another on the trunk lid of a vehicle roof. Eventually, the Institute aims to have more than 3,000 vehicles equipped with devices. The number updates 
constantly, but at press time, there were about 450 such vehicles deployed. About half of those devices are in use merely transmit messages to researchers about the event, the vehicle experience. The other devices collect data. This is how you need to figure out how all of this works, and this is part of the whole M-City plan. M-City is a simulated town in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where the University of Michigan uh, research Institute is testing autonomous vehicles. So you kind of you kind of work the two together and come up with connected vehicles. And connected vehicles are cars that talk to each other, but they also talk to everything that's around them. So they know when the traffic jam is coming up. They know when the street lights are, or the traffic lights are going to change. And by doing that, they're more able to adapt to traffic as it's as it's going through and hopefully make. Uh, roads safer. Uh, the goal of the uh, is to have three curved warning sites, four crosswalks, eight freeway sites, at least one roundabout. You know, we call them rotaries, but they're really every place else they call them roundabouts. They're smaller. Actually, someone wrote to me the other day and said, "Okay, what's the difference between a rotary and a roundabout?" And really, it's size. A rotary can be huge. In fact, a rotary can be so big, you don't actually realize it's a rotary. Or it can be something like, uh, you know, at the end of the Bourne Bridge. Or it can be up in uh, the rotary just north of Boston. Uh, Roundabouts are smaller. And roundabouts, in a lot of cases, take the place of a four-way stop sign. So a a four-way intersection with stops on every street, you take the stop signs out. You kind of widen the end of the street a little bit. And then you put a giant flower pot in the middle, and that slows traffic down a little bit. People are able to, in theory, merge easier without coming to a complete stop. All the tests show it's safer. It also promotes fuel economy because you're not stopped, so you're just going through. The big difference, one of the other big differences between a rotary and a roundabout is the speed. Uh, uh, rotary speeds are, are can be as high as 40 or 45 miles an hour, and faster. People drive faster through them. Sometimes they think I think they they think they're in some kind of autocross race. Uh, but roundabouts are typically slower in the in the more of a 15 to 20, maybe 25 mile an hour range. So you slow down and again. It, it it calms traffic down. It eliminates the four way stop sign that everybody gets all confused about. So it's just. Um, it's a little bit different. Uh, there's always, whenever I talk about four-way stop signs, everybody says, well, who gets to go first? And the rules really haven't changed. It's first in, first out. So the first person that comes to a four-way intersection is the first person that gets to go through it. And if two people come at the same time, it's the person to your right has the right of way. So if there's no one on your right, you don't get to go first. If there's someone on your right, they get to go first if they both come at the same time. But I always get someone who always asks me, well, what happens if four people get there exactly at the same time? Go out and buy a lottery ticket when that happens, because four people are not going to get there exactly at the same time, and you know somebody will be a little bit quicker than the other person, but that's sort of what happens. So uh, you will see that periodically that more than one person arrives at the same time, but it's the person to your right. And those rules haven't changed. Whenever I talk about... Um, driving situations and people say well i need to come up with the new rules what are the new rules and uh, and the, the new rules really haven't the rules haven't changed that much we have a few new rules uh in massachusetts you can't text and drive which is stupid to try to do anyway and the other the uh, the other rule is the slow down move over law which people confuse with 
moving over for an emergency vehicle, which has been a law for a long time. But I don't know, it must uh, 2011 maybe when the slowdown move over law came out, where it says if you see an emergency vehicle, in other words, red, blue, or yellow light, on the side of the highway, it's your job to slow down considerably or move over to the next lane to give them room so they can do their job. So if it's a police officer doing what they do or EMS doing what they do or a tow truck driver doing what they do, your job is to slow down or move over to let them do their job and do their job safely. And that law was actually one of the – there was uh, police officers that were hit. There were two um, – towers that were hit, uh, and they were actually both killed out on 495, and that was one of the reasons. The other part is that as much as it sounds like it's a good law, in almost every case when a when someone gets hit by the side of the road, the driver of the vehicle is drunk or impaired in some way or another. So, uh, But still, if people get in the habit of slowing down or moving over, even if they're impaired, maybe they'll slow down and move over. So we'll have to wait and see. So those are really the only the only new laws. I mean, there, there isn't a there isn't a lot of new laws. I heard I was listening to the radio the other day, and I heard the radio host. He was driving into Boston at night, and he was on his cell phone, on his handheld cell phone. And a state trooper pulled up next to him, kind of gave him a look. He looked back at him. He. Uh, thought maybe he recognized him for some reason, gave him a wave, and then the uh, trooper said to him, get off your phone. And he was like, well, when did the law change? So the the woman who does the news on the same station said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It changed about two months ago. You can't use a handheld phone. Well, that's not true. It didn't change. Uh, You can use a handheld phone in Massachusetts. You can in Rhode Island, for instance. Uh, The law did change in Rhode Island. You can't in New Hampshire. So, and you can't in Connecticut, so the smart money would be don't use a handheld phone in Massachusetts because if you, if you cross the border and you're on your phone, you're going to get a ticket for it. But, no, that law has not changed yet. Um, from AAA's standpoint, we would prefer it does because it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an easier way for law enforcement to recognize when someone's texting. And, again, texting, when you're staring at your phone and you're trying to, type an answer to somebody or type a message to someone, it's never a good thing. So it's never something you can do safely. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Captain Keith, how about if we take a break and pay some bills around here? Sound All right, like a good sounds idea? good. Let's do All that. Right, let's do that. You're listening to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Give us a call at 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. Massachusetts Tax-Free Weekend is happening August 11th and 12th. The perfect time to head to Sullivan Tire for our mid-season exclusive Big League Tire Sale. Buy three Kelly Tires, get the fourth one free. Or buy one Kelly Tire and get a second at half off. Plus instant savings of up to $70 on Continental and Firestone Tires. Stop by Tax-Free Weekend for even greater savings. It's a grand slam of a tire sale. Happening all month long. All Massachusetts locations are open Tax-Free Weekend. Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 3. See SullivanTire.com. I think it's going okay. How about at your end? Hello, hello. 
Why are you checking your phone? There's no game on. Ah, uh, man, I'm so sorry. Let me just finish this up. There. I placed a trade for tomorrow morning. Boom. Wow, I didn't know you did that. Huh. Yeah, I've been taking classes at Online Trading Academy. Really? Yeah, I've just been feeling really stuck trying to get ahead. Online Trading Academy has taught me some really great skills, and I'm loving it. It's almost like having a second paycheck without having a second job. It's Online Trading Academy? Uh-huh. They're the world leader in teaching people how to become traders and investors. I'm an ordinary guy. Do you think I can do this? What do you think? I'm extraordinary or something? I mean, of course. I was just glad I signed up for their free class. It's great. They go over everything and they'll show you all the different ways to make money in the market. Now I don't have to ask my boss for a raise. I'll just give myself one. Come to Online Trading Academy's next free half-day class. Call 888-965-TRADE now. They'll send you a free online video course so you can get started right away. 888-965-TRADE or otaclass.com. 888-965-8723. AM 950 and 100.3 FM, WROL and W262CV, Boston. The Spirit of Boston. The more our family grew, the smaller our old car got. So we upgraded to a Honda Odyssey. It's from Kelly Blue Book's 2016 Best Value brand and comes with standard features like Bluetooth, so my wife can remind me of all the things I've forgotten to bring home. Ah, the diapers. Go to www.hondacarsofboston.com or 100 Broadway, Route 99 in Everett, Mass. Call 617-276-1179. Based on 2016 Brand Image Awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit kbb.com for information. See dealer for financing details. That's deja vu, but I thought this can't be true Cause you moved to West L.A. or New York or Santa Fe Or wherever to get away from me Oh, but that one night was more than just right ASE Master Tech. I also asked these questions. Mechanic may not be willing to install a customer supplies used part. At best, his warranty will be for his installation being done correctly. The customer would be better off asking a local mechanic to supply parts and labor estimate and decide. From there, just a thought from um, somebody who wrote in, and um, somebody else asked a question, which uh, they said, I emailed you uh, on 7-17. I can't believe a whole year has gone by. I still have my 2004 Toyota Highlander with 200,000 miles on it. I know I need to replace the vehicle soon. I like the RAV4 and read all good reports on it. And people do like them. My question is, is this a good time to get a 2018 
before the 2019s hit the lot. I'm planning on trading the Highlander in. I've been told it's worth between three and four thousand dollars. It runs like a top. I always like it when people say that. That means it only goes around in circles. It has no rust issues. It's immaculate inside. It's been well taken care of. I'm 66 and single. I'm scared to death to go into a car dealership on my own. My extended family is very small, and there's no males left. I thought I would ask a coworker to go with me. What's the best strategy to use with a salesperson if I must do this alone and not feel like I'm being taken advantage of? Sorry for the lengthy email. Well, the Toyota RAV4 is, is a great vehicle. Uh, the idea that a 14-year-old car is going to have a $4,000 trade-in value might be a little bit on the optimistic side. Uh, I would, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of things you can do to go car shopping. And I have to say, I was pretty impressed with the AAA car buying experience I had. Uh, I went on AAA on, the, on our website, and I'll be honest that the AAA car buying service is really true car if you've seen the commercials for true car it's it's our own version of true car it's licensed through true car so it's it is the true car service you go in you put in what you want online you put in your zip code three or so dealers in your area pop up and you tell them what you're looking for and they give you a price of the vehicle you're looking for and it's a non-negotiable price so you go in and you just make sure that you have to be a little bit careful about what can get added on afterwards. So you might go in and they'll say, well, this is what the car is. This is how much it costs. Okay, fine. But then they say, do you want fabric protection? Do you want interior protection? Do you want, uh, for want of a better word, rust proofing? Do you want to buy gap insurance, key insurance, wheel insurance, tire insurance? All those kind of things is what is what changes the price and, and moves that good deal into what's not a what's not a good deal so but i found as far as going in and when i bought my car i went in and i actually had a friends and family discount uh form so i could buy my car at the same price as an employee of the manufacturer could and the true car price was actually or the triple a price was actually a little bit less not much, 50 or $100 less than the friends and family discount price. And I talked to the person from the manufacturer. I said, yeah, as it turned out, I never used your certificate because I did a little bit better without it. And she, she just kind of shook her head and went, yeah, I guess. Okay. And um, But you have to be careful about the add-ons that some of the dealerships want to try to sell you. I said no to everything. Uh, but you, you also have to be aware, too, that uh, you might even save a little bit more money on top of the deal if you finance because the auto manufacturers make money or the car dealerships make money with financing. So they might say to you, do you want to finance the car? And you maybe you're in a position that you don't want to finance the car. Or maybe you're, you're in a position that you have a line of credit. Maybe you have a home equity loan on your house. And you said, you know what, as long as I can keep deducting my home equity loan, I'll use my line of credit. Uh, you might find out if the interest rates are really favorable, so if they're 0%, 1%, something like that, it might make sense to finance with the dealership and say to them, hey, look, can you do a little bit better if I finance with you? And they might and they might look at it and go, you know what? 
we'll take another 100 off or take another 200 off or maybe we'll include a series of service coupons where you can go in and get the car service and maybe they can add something to make the deal a little bit better. Um, but is going into a car dealership a reason to be scared to death? Maybe. You know, some, some dealers do better than others. When we bought my wife's Volkswagen and we went to a little kind of mom-and-pop dealership, Paul Clark Volkswagen in Brockton, uh, I went there because it was a, a family-owned dealership, uh, and Paul Clark, the owner, was there and, I think, filling the Coke machine or something at the same time. And we went in, and we kind of went in and said, you know, here's, here's what I have for information. He looked at it. They looked at it. They said, this is what can we do? And he looked at it and said, yeah, I'm good with that. And I did negotiate a little bit more on top of it. Uh, but when it was all done, I looked at him. I said, it looks like I got a pretty good deal. I said, are you happy with the deal? And he said to me, yeah, I'm happy with the deal. So he made a little bit of money. I saved a little bit of money, and it all worked out in the end. Uh, I have been to some dealerships. I went to a dealership up on Route 9 in Framingham. It was terrible. It was a terrible experience. Uh, they didn't want to show me the car I wanted to see. It wasn't as bad as a dealership down on Route 44 at Raynham. Years back, this was probably 10 years ago, went to a dealership down there. They didn't want to let me out of the dealership until I bought a car. I thought that was pretty interesting. But there are some reasons to be a little concerned. So... Um, um, I'm going to email back uh, this person later and say Rev4, good choice, good vehicle. Uh, it's actually grown up a little over the years. It's gotten a little bit bigger. It's going to feel very much like your old Highlander, actually. So I think I think it's a good choice. Um, double check on the trade-in. See what you can see what you can do. Maybe even go to a place like um, CarMax that just will take a vehicle. Um, They'll buy it outright and see what see what the vehicle looks like. See what they'll offer you. When I was shopping for a previously owned car through Enterprise, I said, "What do you you take in trades?" And my car was old enough; I didn't think they'd want it. And they said, "Oh yeah, we take trades in." I said, "And I said, what do you think you can give me for it?" And they said, "Oh, we just use Kelly Blue Book. Go to Kelly Blue Book. Be honest about what the car is worth, uh, condition-wise. So if it's." Uh, Go to the trade-in part, and if it says trade-in, trade-in, poor, average, good, excellent, and if you think your car is really in good condition, that's what we give you for it. So they make the trade-in a little bit easy. So um, you have to you have to look around. So we'll can see what's there. If you have a question, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030 is how you get through, and phone lines are open. Uh, someone else wrote to me today and said, my husband and I are coming to grips with the sad fact we're going to need to replace our 2001 Saab 95 wagon in the near future. We're interested in your recommendations for a vehicle, probably used or certified pre-owned to replace it. This is a second vehicle, not see a lot of use in terms of miles. We love the Saab because it's not like an SUV. It has lots of cargo space. We like that we can haul two to three kayaks on the roof. Does everybody with a Saab haul kayaks? Um, our other vehicle is a Subaru Impreza, and we would like our other car to have more cargo capacity than that. We have had other Saabs and Volvos in the past. We love them, but since discovering Asian cars, we have come to realize that, may, that they might have a lower cost of ownership than their Swedish cousins. Um, any ideas you have would be very welcome. And this email comes from Harpswell, Maine. So... 
the um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that the they already have an Impreza because the first thing I was going to recommend is maybe like a Subaru Forester or a Subaru Outback. A little bit more cargo room. Good, you know, generally pretty good as far as uh, maintenance. Some of the older ones had head gasket problems, but once the head gaskets were taken care of, they were pretty good. Some of the real old ones had rust problems, but the but Subaru is always a good choice. A small SUV, even though they they're not a fan of an SUV might be a good choice. Um, Volvo Volvo's a good choice, but you're not going to buy a Volvo at what I think the price point is they're looking at, especially if they're looking at previously uh, previously owned vehicles or certified pre-owned. So, um, so I'm going to have to give this one a little bit of thought, uh, but there may, there may be some choices out there. The other one I would look at, and then maybe they don't want to be a Su- two Subaru family, but Subaru Crosstrek um, is a is a good choice. It's uh, it's not quite as big as some of the others. It's a little bit roomy. It's a little bit uh, a little bit sportier. I think you can put two kayaks. I don't know about three on the roof, but you can put a couple on the roof. Um, but you can you can look at that for a choice. But as far as other wagons, there isn't a lot, with the exception of going to some of the Europeans, uh, Mercedes, Audi, and so forth. There isn't a lot of wagons. The um, I assume where they're living in Maine, they probably want all-wheel drive. So something like uh, even a small wagon, and again, you couldn't put three kayaks on the roof of a, say, a Jetta sport wagon, but which is which is a nice nice little car. You'd have to get up to a little bit bigger vehicle for that. So there are some choices out there, but those are going to take a little bit of work. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven. 770-3030, and I have yet to see this new Buick wagon that everyone talks about, but I haven't seen one yet. Uh, in fact, I think I've maybe I've seen one on the road, but it's uh, uh, it's actually an Opal. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see where where that's going to go and what Buick's going to do with it. Uh, people who are interested in it seem very interested in it. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and find out. GM has a new truck engine. And apparently it has some kind of muscle car heritage. Uh, General Motors' new 2.7-liter turbo four-cylinder engine designed specifically for full-size trucks will boost horsepower and fuel economy. Can you imagine a four-cylinder engine in a full-size truck? Well, they said it's going to work. Mike Anderson, head of Global Transmission and Electrification Hardware Engineering, uh, this engine will carry an iconic 1960s name, the Tri-Power. In a four-cylinder, hmm. Uh, the, and uh, the Tri-Power, if you are old enough to remember, was the engine offered in Pontiac from 1957 to 1966 on cars such as the GTO. Today's Tri-Power setup is due in the next uh, generation Chevrolet Silverado and GMC Sierra pickups and includes a suite of technology. Speaking at, the, um, at a, a seminar... He said the new tri-power will encompass cylinder deactivation, which shuts off two of the four cylinders at light cruising speed, active thermal management that increase or decrease heat in various parts of the engine to speed warm-up and reduce temperatures to keep the engine running longer in in its most thermally efficient range. Boy, this sounds like a lot of stuff to go wrong. Intake valve lift control, uh, a system that reduces the length the intake valve opens at certain speeds, which help improve fuel economy under certain uh, driving conditions. 
GM expects deliveries of the new engine to start after the new trucks are launched this year. It's rated at 310 horsepower, one of the highest ever for a regular production four-cylinder engine. The new engine also uses an electric water pump and a new, more fuel-efficient turbocharger from Borg Warner. The original tri-power setup referred to uh, the use of the three two-barrel carburetors sitting on Pontiac V8, V8 engine. The final Pontiac version of tri-power, a 389 V8 used in the 66 GTO, made 360 horsepower. So they're making 310 horsepower in a four-cylinder engine as opposed to a big 389 V8 in the 66 GTO that made 360 horsepower. Hmm. I still want to know why they call it tri-power. Just because there's three systems that make it work? I don't know about that. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. Let's take a call. Good morning. All right. And we're going to go to uh, Paul Somerville. All right, Paul. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, John. How are you today? Good. Good. How are you? Very well. Got a question on a 2010 Cadillac SRX. Okay. Um, engine engine replaced about three years ago. Been running fine. But recently, the windshield washer reservoir is draining. Not while it's parked. I put cardboard under it, fill it up. Um, after it's run, it's empty. Um, I did, I, I, my regular shop, unfortunately, burned down about, about a month ago, um, where I had some, a couple of very reliable mechanics, but, um, uh, trying to find out if you have any thought as to where that windshield washer cleaner is going, and what, one person suggested to me, um, replace the reservoir, uh, I'm not sure if that's it, um, if you have any, any idea. Well, it's odd that, it's odd that it would, you wouldn't see it on the ground. You know, so no, it, yeah, the uh, it's definitely not on the ground because I put cardboard under the car on two different occasions when I filled the tank. Hmm. Now, uh, and how how long does it take to actually empty? Um, it, probably after fifty miles. Really? Huh. Well. It's it's odd, but possible, I suppose. I mean, it could certainly be the reservoir. I mean, that would make that would make a ton of sense if the reservoir had a crack in it, and you know, as you're driving as you're driving this, and it heats up, and you know, things expand and contract, and that's that's enough to make it that's enough to make it leak out somewhere. And when you're driving it, when you're driving it, uh, you know, speed, you it it leaks out, and you don't notice it evaporating. So I suppose that you know that is possible. Um, I wonder if something goofy is happening. I'm wondering if during the process of somebody doing some work under the hood, somehow somebody tapped into one of the windshield washer hoses. And I don't know why they would, but they could have confused a windshield washer hose with a vacuum line somewhere, somehow teed into it. And as you're driving down the road, engine vacuums literally sucking windshield washer out of the reservoir and it's burning it through the engine and you don't see it. So I hmm. guess what I would do is start at the windshield washer reservoir, and that's where the, the you know that's where you're going to see the pump and the hoses and all of that, and have somebody follow it through all the way up to the squirt nozzles and find out if somehow somebody connected 
disconnected something, connected something in, left a hose off even. So say there's a hose that should be going to the windshield washers and it's got a crack in it. Well, maybe at highway speed it's acting like a vacuum and it's literally sucking the windshield washer right out of the right out of the bottle. So before I, you know, spent the money on a on a windshield washer reservoir, which which uh, I'm sure I'm sure Cadillac gives those away. Uh, oh yeah, you know, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think I would. Um, you know that that uses that uses a, a filler tube as as and and the reservoir itself and uh, but I I think I I think I'd look for something wacky where you say you know hey never you know I, I let it sit still I let it sit for a weekend nothing on the ground I drive you know I drive from uh, you know Somerville to Nashua and when I get up there I don't have any windshield washer you know so you know where 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 can it go well. It's either it's either leaking out or it's getting it's getting the windshield washer the fluid is getting used up by the engine, and may you know and how now this just started in the last month or so. Um, no, before that, before um, that about last three months. Last three months, is that yeah? Was that anywhere? How long ago was the engine replaced? Three years ago. Three years ago. So it's not like somebody did something. If you said to me, "Oh, they just put yeah. an engine in." Three weeks, three months ago, and it started then. Then I'd be more apt to believe that somehow they disconnected a windshield washer line and hooked it up to a vacuum line, and goofy stuff happened after that. But yeah, I mean, at this point, the reservoir is the thing that jumps out at me as the most, you know, normal thing. But I'd still want to check. I'd still want to check all the all the hoses because that uses a that uses a level switch that uses a, you know the little switch that comes on that tells you when it's empty. Um, the windshield washer motor, you know, sits in sits in there too, and, and um, I mean the windshield, um, yeah, washer motor sits there. So, you know, could it be leaking from? Could it be leaking from that somewhere? I yeah, I, I suppose it could. Um, that also uses a pump for the rear window too. It uses a separate pump for that. So I'd want to check the lines that are going to that. Um, you know, it, siphoning out siphoning out the system makes some sense if there is something just disconnected somewhere, and it's and it's literally just you know like blowing a, you know blowing across a straw and sucking the liquid out of it. Same same thing's going to kind of happen. But if I checked out if I checked out everything and I couldn't find a thing wrong, everything looked fine. I used a little air pressure from one end to the other and didn't hear any air hissing out from, you know, I disconnected the, the nozzles and, you know, ran a little light air pressure through there to just to make sure there's nothing leaking out. The only thing left is to replace the reservoir. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I might give, give that a try. I, I, it would seem like that might be process of elimination. Yeah. Uh, I know the reservoir is pretty much out of sight. It's um, it's almost oh, it's, under the engine. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of buried. That's why they use. They actually use a fill tube that goes down on top of it. And I would look at that too because if that tube isn't sitting inside the um, the reservoir, um, you know, I'd want to I'd want to make sure that I'd want to make sure that uh, you know somehow it didn't come loose. But yeah, the the um, yeah, it sits. The, I what is it the the fill the part where you add is what located over in the over in the corner of the fender. Yeah, it's uh, it's on the driver's side fender, and basically it's just a little 
just a little, like a, almost like a little plastic pipe. Right, right. And it and goes then, down on yeah, the left side, it, almost yeah, under the engine. Yeah. Um, I actually just looked it up. Let's see. Remove the left front wheelhouse liner, so you've got to take the inner fender well off. And then it says remove the washer container fill tube. Refer. Then it says drain the windshield wiper. Uh, washer container bolt. There's three of them. Uh, there's uh, and then carefully lower remove the windshield washer solvent container from the left front fender. Remove the washer pump hoses from the, uh, both washer pumps because there's two. Disconnect the level sensor connector. Disconnect both uh, headlamp and washer pump electrical connectors. Remove the transfer. Remove and transfer the windshield washer solvent because apparently they want want you to use the old ones, old stuff over again. And then it says, um, you know, remove all the parts and pieces, pumps and level switch and all of that, and then put it all back together again. So it's um, I, I bet I bet this is close to an hour and a half worth of work. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's about it's about an hour and a half worth of work. So. Whatever the cost of that reservoir is, and you're going to spend another couple hundred dollars for labor to do it. So, uh, yeah. and that's just yeah, at a I guess. Think pot, yeah, I think the pot's forty-nine dollars. Oh, that's actually a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. Um, well, that's I, I, I think that's a genuine Cadillac pot. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I expect uh, yeah, I expected it to be a little bit more than that. But but again, I would want to make sure that anything you can see is hooked up. So you know, make sure that the you know the the hoses that go up to the go up to the squirters or attach where they should be, things are under it or where they should be, and especially there's there's going to be that line that runs all the way to the back window and, you know, make sure that that somehow didn't get disconnected. And that's the only thing I can think of that there's... Now, does the rear windshield washer work? Yeah, everything works when it, when the when reservoir full. is full. Yeah. Um, then I got to guess it's I got to guess it's a reservoir. I, I, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with whoever gave you the guess before that that only makes sense if you if you said to me hey I fill it up with I fill it up with washer fluid I hit the washer button and it doesn't seem to squirt like it used to then I'd say well yeah there's a leak in there somewhere there's something not hooked up but if it feel if it seems like it's squirting with the same amount of pressure as always I would say everything's hooked up the way it should be yeah the only thing left is it's got to be a, a crack in the reservoir. All right, we'll give that a shot and see what happens. All right, good luck. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate it. All right, it. thanks, Paul. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us. Again, lines are uh, lines are open. Calls are kind of quiet today. Um, Ford yeah, says, it's, a, it's a rainy, miserable it's a, it's Saturday morning. It's a rainy, morning. miserable Saturday, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Ford will uh, come up with a pickup truck that will be... Below the Ranger, it says here, Ford Motor Company plans to introduce a unibody pickup truck smaller than the mid-sized Ranger by 2022. Maybe this is the pickup truck I've been finally looking for. The publication, uh, citing sources familiar with Ford products, said the compact pickup truck would be based on the next-generation Focus platform and would be bigger than a Fiesta-based Courier pickup truck that sold in Brazil. Uh, that was sold there till about five years ago. Ford has applied to trademark the Courier name in the U.S., according to Car and Driver. Uh, Ford spokesman Mike Levine declined to comment directly on the report, but noted the automaker is significantly expanding its North American lineup with 
all new vehicles and entering a new segment with fresh designs and white space silhouettes. Boy, that's a lot of marketing nonsense talk. That will position us for even more growth. Ford plans to stop making traditional sedans for North America and will phase out the Fiesta, Focus, Fusion, and Taurus over the next few years. It plans to replace the Focus sedan with a Focus active wagon and reportedly is planning a wagon version of the Fusion to compete with the Subaru Outback. I like the idea of that. I've I've always been a fan of the Fusion and the idea that they're going to do a wagon that's not really an SUV is probably a good idea and if the person who was looking for a replacement for their Saab if they can wait till they can't their Saab will be dead by then so that probably isn't going to work but anyway I like I've been saying for years that there's a need for a small compact pickup truck something that gets great gas mileage problem is there's no profit in making them which is why you can sell a $65,000 Ford pickup truck Uh, but there there isn't profit made but the idea of a small unibody truck that can carry you know a quarter of a ton of stuff so it isn't anything you're going to go to the sand and gravel pit and get you know five five thousand pounds worth of pavers but on the other hand if you need something just to put something in the back of that you need to sweep out occasionally so you know something that maybe a typical mid-size suv can do but you want to keep it neater and and cleaner uh a little pickup truck makes sense and i i don't know if ford does this then they bring this truck to market. I wonder if it will cause some of the other manufacturers to bring similar trucks to market. It'd be interesting. Be interesting to see what happens with that. It sounds like a pretty good idea. Well, Porsche confirms that they're coming out with a. They, I, it's, I guess it's Taycan. It's a. Uh, it's an electric Porsche. It says it confirmed a few specs of the. 2020 Taycan, the Model S fighter, stated to go on sale next year. The brand's first full electric sports car will pack more than 600 horsepower, according to Porsche. Uh, two permanently synchronous motors that uh, power down through all four wheels. As for range, they're aiming for 310 miles in what they call the European cycle. With lithium-ion batteries, uh, they'll be able to take advantage of fast charging capacity and soak up enough energy in 15 minutes to cover 248 miles. The Taycan will be available to sprint from 0 to 60 in less than 3.5 seconds and pass 124 miles an hour in less than 12 seconds. Porsche is testing prototypes in extreme climates. Uh, Around uh, 40 specialists have assembled um, lots of prototypes, I guess. So we'll have to to wait and see where that's going to go. We have another call. I was I was on YouTube the other day, which sometimes I get lost on YouTube. And there's a, a local guy because his car had Massachusetts plates on it that goes out and buys salvaged Teslas and kind of Frankenstein's them together. And he had one that he and interesting enough, he doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing, but he manages to get a car out of it. And he bought a car that was in a flood because he wanted the parts of it and then he bought another car that was in a wreck and he combined the two together and got a car out of it and he brought it for the first time ever to a supercharging station one of the one of the charging stations where you can charge quickly and he wondered whether tesla would still allow him to charge because you know the cars have been taken out of service and he plugged in and sure enough it did charge and the guy was saying that he charges on 110 volts at home I can't imagine how long it takes to charge a Tesla at home on 110 volts. It must take a week and a half. 
but he was able to charge in 20 minutes more than he charges in days uh, charging with a 110-volt uh, charger. But uh, the guy said, oh, yeah, when he first started working on these cars, he you know dressed in a rubber suit, and then he just kind of got used to working on the electric systems and, and got it all back together. Uh, somebody else he was talking to had a Tesla, and uh, they went in, and it didn't receive any of the updates, and he said something about it, and then all of a sudden Tesla realized it was not a car being serviced by Tesla, and they shut everything off so it couldn't charge at the quick charge station, and they wanted a fair amount of money to to get the updates back into the system. So it's a, it's one of those things where the manufacturer really has full control over the vehicle, even though they don't admit it. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. I think we have another call. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Our pal Rick from Boston. Oh, Rick from Boston. Rick? Is that you, Rick? Hey there, can you hear me? I can. It's like you're okay, right in the good. same it's like you're right in the same room with me. <laughs> oh great. Um, how reliable long term reliability are the scions? Well they're they're a Toyota products or is they're as reliable as any Toyota, so what you looking at? Well, you know, I've got a twenty year old and eleven year old car, so uh, we're beginning to look like um, you know, next year it's time to get a new one. But you have or a one-year-old motorcycle. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not. I'm, that's, that's saying you know, you know, I'm not going to get rid of that anytime soon, unless. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah. Actually, I'm beginning to think the point. I'm getting beginning to the point where okay, now I'll start thinking like okay, one of these days you're going to have to actually finally get off the bikes, but uh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you're looking at a Scion? Are you looking at Scions? Well, well, you know, we're driving down the road, and my wife says, you know, that Scion looks nice. You know, uh, who makes them, and, you know, how reliable are they in it? So I'm just kind of wondering. Well, it's 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 a it's a full-blooded Toyota, so they're as reliable as any Toyota vehicle. In fact, yep. um, the car that I've been driving for a couple days this week is a Toyota Corolla. Um Last year, it was called a Toyota IM, and the year before that, it was called a Scion IM. So, really, you know, a Scion is just a Toyota with maybe not as much sound deadening in it, but it's, you know, the mechanicals are the, mechanicals are the same. If I was looking for a small, functional, I guess, bit odd vehicle, the XB, which is there like, which goes anywhere from a, a really square-looking box to kind of a more sculpted wagon. Uh, and if I was looking for something to carry a little bit of cargo, get 35 miles a gallon, and be, you know, dead reliable, you know, I would I would certainly look at a Scion XB. Okay, that's fine. And that's because, uh, you know, we just, uh, you know, uh, say, you know, we like to keep our cars for several years. Nothing wrong with that. No, you know, I, no. you know, I, I kept my last car for eleven, and uh, my my wife's previous car, two cars ago, we kept for ten or eleven. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yep. Did you find a letter? No. 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 And that's ridiculous. Well, it it must it must have gone to the radio station. The radio station didn't know what to do with it. I don't know. So. Well, I had attention, car doctor John Paul. So. Who knows? Oh. 
That was well, on the front of the here, oh, yeah, I, I was just flipping through this month. I think it's Consumer Reports. Let's see. This month. Is it this month? Uh, yes. It's actually next month's Consumer Reports. September Consumer Reports. And it says, Cars You'll Love. And it said, Under $15,000, 2015 Scion XB. Uh, Consumer Reports take, despite its compact footprint, the XB has a very roomy cabin with a back seat that can generally accommodate three adults. The 2.4-liter engine is relatively powerful. Its fuel economy, they say, is mediocre. Reliability has been stellar. Uh, the last year was made. Best version yet. Not many choices here, uh, only for transmission wheels, so you don't get a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, add-on stuff. What owners say, survey respondents praised how easy it was to get in and out of. It's comfort, handling, and power. Uh, but some said the small gas tank limits its range. Uh, you know, 23 miles per gallon overall. You can buy it for, they're saying, 13000 to about $14,000. So Consumer Reports really like that as a, as a good choice in a, small, in a small car. So Scion XB looks like it got, uh, got Consumer Reports rating. Uh, in that same kind of point category, uh, they also included the, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit more money. The Mazda CX-5, you know, which can go all the way up to about twenty thousand for a used one, but no, for uh, under fifteen thousand dollars, the Scion XB looks like it'd be a good choice. Well, the biggest question is, does my wife like it? <laughs> there you go, there you go, because you know, you know what they say. Yep. All right, all right. Thanks, Rick. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, right, happy thanks. wife, happy life. That's right. You got it. You got it, Keith. <laughs> yep. All right, uh, so uh, we still have time to take some more calls at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Sorry about that. We have David and Needham next. Well, let's talk to David and Needham then. David, is that you? Hello. Hey, hey David. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, question for you. Do the um, businesses that run... Uh, Remote starters, um, what's the other thing? Security and yep. radio. Do they still exist, <laughs> or have they gone yeah. the way of the dodo bird? No, they they still exist. In fact, um, I kind of annually, you know, I go down to uh, Auto Toys in Randolph. It's a little stereo shop down in Randolph, and every year when I'm down there, right around Christmas time, that's about all anybody comes in for is remote start, remote start, remote start, remote start, and um, and what they can do is um, even a car that might have a factory remote start, like a GM or a, or a Chrysler product, they can enhance it and make it better by, like, extending the range on it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of look at that and you go, what, you know, there's so many cars that come with factory remote starts now. That's what I was thinking yeah. in, in terms yeah. of they've killed the uh, business, so to speak, for a lot of people. Yeah, you know. it's it the, you know to some extent, but you know are they, you know the, the you're still going to find, like my car is a very basic car. When I bought my my car, I bought a very basic car, and it has the factory sound system in it. The factory the tuner is fine, uh, but if I want to, you know, if I wanted to upgrade the speakers, for instance, those you know they they still exist to do. You know, speaker upgrades. You know, could they could they sure. hide hide a subwoofer in there somewhere so it so it sounds a little bit better? Um, and if they wanted to, you know, wow. 
but if they if they wanted to add to something like a, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted to have XM radio and something, they can yeah, add. No, they can that's add not the reason. Uh, let me yeah. give you the reason I'm calling. I bought a car. To, uh, was it two hundred five, two thousand and five Islander, and on the dash there next to the factory, you can tell the difference, so to speak. There's, yeah. a, there's a red little button, and then they got this stupid little white. I don't know. It has lights or something on it. I wonder what it is, but um, there's got to be something there. I, I don't need a, a remote start. People mm. are unbelievable today. They can't do anything. Heated seats. Uh, incredible people today. Mm. In any case, uh, I just want to find out because when I got home, I left the car for. Didn't have to drive it for a good month. I'm on the Cape most of the time at this time of year, and it was dead. So I started charging up the battery and. Uh, all of a sudden, the horns start going off. So I want to find out what this garbage is. That I think somebody added something to it at some place along the way. And um, just, you know, so there's no way. I had to disconnect the connections to the horns to charge it. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have to do that. I, tried, I disconnected the whole battery then. But as soon as I touched the, the uh, terminal, you know, the negative terminal back to the battery off, the horns go again. You know, yep. so I asked my neighbors, anything happened during? No, no, been quiet as hell, so. No, I want what to find happened? Out what it is, and I want to get rid of the junk. You know. Yeah. Well, what happened was when the battery, battery went so, completely dead, and when it came right. back up to when it started charging back up, it turned on it turned on the security system, which is why all that sort of happened. Um, ah. Yeah. So uh, you can you can't get rid of that stuff, huh? Uh, okay. if yeah, in other words, if it probably has. It, a, I think it has a factory one. Yeah. That if it's in fact, yeah. If the, if it's factory in there, you're not gonna you're not gonna disable it. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So leave yeah, it. Because I noticed she said something that they have something even on the hood latch. That's it. Yeah. There's a there's a uh, signal at that point there. Right. Yep. There must be a way of bypassing it though. Um, uh, if it's built into the body control computer, which which it probably which it probably is, yeah. um, then. It's gonna. It's there's there's, without going in and reprogramming the car, which nobody's gonna do. Uh, there's not yeah. much. There's, yeah. There's not much you can do about it. So. Uh, and well, if there's a if this thing, the point is, if there's a signal that comes off from the if you're opening a latch, and that's essentially whatever right. the security system is gonna do. You just bypass that and put a solid wire in there. They can never, you know, it has nothing to right. do with a latch, you know. Yeah. And by, and leave it the system alone that way is what I'm trying to say. You well, can always fool the systems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can, but the I guess the real question is, you know, what was it? Just parasitic drain that caused the battery go dead? Was it just that all these systems were sort of? Well, this thing has little flashing lights on. That's what got me on the dash. You know, over a period of I probably was gone five weeks. Actually, I don't know. I didn't pay attention. Yeah, it could. You know, five weeks. Five weeks with today's cars. That's what everybody says. yeah. 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 I mean, you can. You know, if you got there four we you know, if you got there after four weeks you would have got in, it probably would have started up, you wouldn't have thought anything of it. You know, the alternator sure. would the alternator would have worked hard for a while mm-hmm. to charge the battery back up and you wouldn't have thought much of it. But yeah, that's when you right. start going yeah. when you start going out five or six weeks with all the electronic junk that's in cars today, um, yeah. you know, even even some cars will periodically uh, pressurize the fuel tank to 
to check the the emissions control system to see if the you know see if the evaporative system is leaking. So you know yeah. you go to bed at, you go to bed at night. Your car is doing all kinds of stuff. You don't know what it's doing, and then you come out in the morning, <laughs> you start it up, and you know you don't yeah. think anything of it. But uh, but all these things can can sometimes happen. So yeah, I mean if you were gonna if you were gonna wait that long, if you were gonna be gone for you know five or six weeks at a time. Yeah, it's a second. I, it's a second car to me, yeah. so I never, I never yeah. really use it. But it's a nice car, and I, said, yeah. I bought it cheap money for the price. Yeah, yeah. I and think I, I think I would. Uh, I think I'd disconnect the battery. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, that you got to be able. Well, I disconnected the horns because then, then I then I can drive right. it. Yeah, you know, so there's always a way around this stuff. Yeah, I just got to figure but, it out. If the, yeah, but I want to go to a place that knows what the hell these things are because it's not shown in the uh, owner's manual in the same position, and they got a fairly good yep. depiction of that area on the dashboard left of the steering wheel. You know, mm. and uh, there's nothing there, and yet it is on this car. And I always noticed it when I we go out there in the dark, the little thing flashing yep. at night, you yep. know, a little red signal. So it's something yep. to do with the security or whatever. Well, in any case, you know uh, what uh, I mean. Just for, you know, and maybe he can recommend someone up near you. But um, the the guy's shop is Auto Toys and Randolph. The guy who owns it is a guy by the name of Dave. Um, oh, good. Give, he's got a good yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, but give, okay. give, uh, give, well, give him a call. Auto Toys and, and, and Randolph. Randolph. What yep. street is? You know, what is it's, Main I think Street it, or something? I think, I think it's on Main Street. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's not too and far away. What do you? And, and he's he's right off. He's right off the. He's actually right off of Route Three. Um, Kind of, uh, yeah, right off of Route Three, heading heading towards Randolph, and he's um, he. It's a little shop. He's been there. I think he's owned it for fifteen years now, and he worked there for ten years before that. So sure, uh, yeah. So I, you yeah, know, he's I'd someone give, with a fifteen-year-old experience, as I yeah, say, you know, yeah, because they're yeah, done I, differently in those days. Yeah, I'd, I'd give him a call and see what he has to say. He's a, he's a good guy. Okay, I thank you okay. very much, John. All I right. appreciate it. Yeah. All right, take care. Have a, have a good day and a good weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye now. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Like I said, next week we're going to be, uh, we're going to be doing a live interview with, um, with uh, Eric. What is Eric's? Eric Dregni, D-R-E-G-N-I. And he is following up on the life of Vespa. And uh, we're going to talk to him about his book. Uh the Environmental Protection Agency and National Highway Traffic Safety Administrator. Um, this comes from last week, and it's uh, AAA's views on this. And uh, like I told our buddy Paul from Braintree, I'm not political, and he wanted to know what AAA's viewpoint on this. The proposal is widely expected following EPA's release of midterm evaluations in April 20th. It concluded the standards that were established in 2012 were too stringent. The capping current standards to 2021 level, freezing CAFE standards, uh, revoking the uh, 2012 EPA waiver under the Clean Air Act to the state of California, which allowed to set higher standards and federal limits. Um, we have we have looked into it a little bit. We're kind of waiting to see, you know, where it's going to go. Um, the next steps, uh, EPA and NHTSA will receive comments on the proposal for 60 days after the proposal is published in the Federal Register. They'll hold some public hearings in Washington, Detroit, and Los Angeles. And um, the final rule is expected to, by the end of 2018, um, 
AAA supports fuel economy improvements that can be achieved through continued development of wide range of technologies and believes safety should remain a top consideration. AAA Automotive Engineering continues to build the association's fuel-related expertise, so we, we do something called the Green Car Guide. And um, we are uh, both AAA National Engineering and the Foundation for Traffic Safety are reviewing the proposal safety analysis to determine the impact on customers. So we're looking into it for our members to see what's going on, to see to see how things are going. There is... There is an interesting thing going on with Jeep right now. It says, as sales slip, factories stay disciplined. It says, uh, second half slowdown for nearly everyone predicted, uh, but even the first half sales were outpaced 2017 levels. Has turned up right on schedule. The U.S. light vehicle sales fell an estimated 3.7% in July, and the seasonally adjusted annual rate slipped $16.73 million, the weakest month since uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, upended the industry last August. It was the first time this year the annual selling rate has dipped below $17 million, yet automakers so far have dealt in downturn in a very adult manner, it says in this article, anxious apparently to preserve the health of the market even at a lower volume, steering away from price skirmishes. Companies are maintaining production discipline and leaner inventories to better reflect the 70-30 split of light cars to, to sales. So think about that. Seven out of ten cars are trucks, which is, I guess, why Ford is going to stop selling cars. Uh, Automakers tempered incentive outlays in July, snapping a streak of monthly increases in average discounts that began nearly five years ago, according to J.D. Power. We'll have to to wait and see where that's going to go. So there's a... Another article about Uber, which is Uber was going to get into the truck business, and it says Uber's uh, surprise uh, shuttering of its self-driving truck program last uh, month knocks one of the main robo-truck competitors out of the running uh, with the move move reveals more about what is happening inside Uber than the state of the autonomous truck technology. I'm not sure that that's totally true either. Uber has faced a myriad of problems, certainly they have, and a high-profile legal battle with Waymo. under the new CEO, uh, Uber made the call to stop R&D on the autonomous trucks, which is arguably an easier technology to develop than cars, despite um, challenges unique to freight hauling. Highway driving is generally simpler to navigate than urban driving, but the company decided it needed to focus on self-driving cars. We believe having our entire team's energy and expertise focused on the effort is the best path forward. I'm not so sure. As companies move from R&D and implementation of self-driving vehicles, experts predict factors such as budget and engineering and talent will force them to target their strategies, which is, I guess, exactly what's exactly what's happening here. So we'll have to wait and see. We are down to our last couple minutes. And we and, got our friend here, Professor and Paul Sullivan. And that's what I was going to say. I was wondering if... Our buddy Paul Sullivan is in. Sully, is that you? Well, you know, every other week I'm I'm not. I, <laughs> that dawns on me. But yeah, I'm here today. Hi. Hi. Hi, JP. What's up? Yeah, he hid uh, last week. No. Yeah, I, well, you know what happened last? I'll tell everyone what happened last week. My right. my dad, um, who's 93 years old, uh, oh God bless, very recently moved in to the uh, Sullivan uh, estate. Oh, yeah, that's right. And. Um, 
my wife had to drive down last Saturday to, um, well, halfway down to Washington to pick up Zach, because Zach was vacationing with uh, his grandparents this week. So it was a whole uh, conflation of things, and I couldn't uh, find anybody to uh, give my dad the care he needed. So I got on to Bobby Brooks and Johnny Costello, and, of course, those guys are always there when I need them, when anyone needs them. And uh, they were able to uh, help my dad by helping me. And so I have a great big thanks to them. They're good guys. Look at, look at this uh, Salem Radio family. It, <laughs> you know, it's a team. It's uh, cohesive. You, you hear us sometimes joking with each other on the air or teasing each other, poking fun at each other. But uh, there's a lot of mutual respect and uh, an affinity for each other and care for each other. And uh, I certainly have been on the receiving end of a lot of that over the last year or so. And don't think that I don't uh, recognize it, understand it, appreciate it, and love it. If I could only get you to fill in for me, then I'd be all uh, set. <laughs> what I know about cars... No, we miss the, you uh, too much. I know that they go most of the time. Your car expertise. Yeah. yeah. No, I love listening to you because I learn something virtually every time I do. Well, well, I, I, I try, I try. But right now, I'm going to try to get out of here because my watch says it's uh, it's uh, almost time to go, I think. Well, be careful because there's um, some coastal flood watches or and you're on the coast, so be careful. Well, we're all on the coast. You're on the coast. I know. You I can know. look out the window. You can see the coast. Well, frankly, right and the yes. other the other end of that, the return trip for Zachary is right after I get off the air, so I'll be driving down the coast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, for the very best in Irish music, Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade coming up next. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.